Chapter 14 of Curly Carson Listens In by Roy J. Snell. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recording by Tom Penn. Chapter 14 The Coming Storm. As Curly's feet carried him forward on the deck of the Kittlewake, his eyes beheld the ghost which rose from the hatch taking on a familiar form a white midi blouse, short white skirt, and a white tarn worn by a slender girl, moved forward to meet him. As the form came into the square of light cast by a cabin window, his lips framed her name. Gladys Ardmore. Why, yes, she smiled. Didn't you expect me? I told you I thought I'd go. And I said you should not. Her coolness angered him. You forget that this is my father's boat. A man's daughter should always be a welcome guest on his boat. But, but that's not it, he hesitated. This is not a pleasure trip. We are going five hundred miles straight to sea in a boat intended for shore travel. It's likely to storm. He sniffed the air and held his cheek to the breeze that was already breaking the water into little choppy waves. It is going to be dangerous. But you are going, she said soberly to the assistance of my brother. I have a better right than you to risk my life to save my own brother. I can be of assistance to you. Truly I can. I can be the galley cook. You a cook? He looked his surprise. Certainly. Do you think a rich man's daughter can do nothing but play tennis and pour tea? Those times are gone, if indeed they ever existed. I am as able to do things as is your sister if you have one. But, said Curly suddenly, I am going from a sense of duty. Having set out to have your brother arrested, I mean to do it. For a full moment she stared at him, stupefied. Then she said slowly, through set white lips, You wouldn't do that. Why shouldn't I? His tone was more gentle. He has broken the laws of the air. Time and again he sent messages on 600, a radio wavelength reserved to coast and ship service alone. He has hindered sea traffic and once narrowly escaped being the death of brave men at sea. Oh, she breathed, sinking down upon a coil of cable. I didn't know it was as bad as that, and I, I knew all about it. I, I, she did not finish, but sat there staring at him. At last she spoke again. Her tone was strained and husky with emotion. You, you'll want to arrest me, too, when you know the truth. You'll not be dragged into it unless you insist. But I do insist. She sprang to her feet, her nails digging into her clenched fists. She faced him. Her eyes were bright and terrible. Do you think, she fairly screamed, that I would be part of a thing that was wrong, whether I knew it or not at the time? And then when trouble came from it, do you think that I would sneak out of it and allow someone else to suffer for it? Do you think I'd sneak out of it because anyone would let me? Because I'm a girl? Completely at a loss to know what to do upon this turn of events, Curly stood there staring back at the girl. She at last sank back upon her seat. Curly took three turns around the deck. At last he approached her with a steady step. 
Miss Ardmore, he said, taking off his cap, I apologize. I, I really didn't know that a girl could be that kind of a real sport. Before she could answer, he hurried on. For the time being, we can let the matter we were just speaking of rest. Matters far more important than the vindicating of law, important as that always is, are before us. Your brother and his friend, unless I am mistaken, are in grave danger. We may be able to save them. We may not. We can but try, and this trial requires all our wisdom and strength. More than that, he again held his face to the stiffening gale, we ourselves are in considerable danger. Whether this cockle-shell, as the skipper calls her, can weather a severe storm on the open sea is a question. That question is to be answered within a few hours. We're in for a blow. We're too far on our way to retreat if we wish to. We must weather it. You can be of assistance to us, as you suggest, and more than that, you can help us by being brave, fearless, and hopeful. May we count on you? There was a cold, brave smile on the girl's face as she answered, You know my father. He has never yet been beaten. I am his child. Then, suddenly, casting all reserve aside, she gripped his arm and, bestowing a warm smile upon him, said almost in a whisper, Curly Carson, I like you. You're real. The realest person I ever knew. Then, turning swiftly about, she danced along the deck to disappear down the hatch to the foxhole. Huh, said Curly after a moment's thought. I never could make out what girls are like. But one thing I'm sure of, that one will drown or starve or freeze when necessity demands it without a murmur. You can count on her. Throwing a swift glance to where the thick bank of clouds was painting the night sky the color of blue-black ink, he hurried below to consult with the skipper about the weather. They were, he concluded, some three hundred and fifty miles out to sea. If this storm meant grave dangers to them, what must it mean to two boys in a seaplane skimming through the air over the sea? He shivered at the thought. Fifteen minutes later, Curly was in the small wireless cabin of the Kittlewake, with a receiver clamped over his head, with a motor purring at his feet, and with the hum of wires and coils all about him, he felt more at ease and at home than he had been for many hours. His talk with the skipper had confirmed his fears. They were in for a blow. A nor'easter, sir, he had affirmed. And one you'll remember for many a day. Oh, we'll weather her, sir. Somehow we'll have to weather her. With a millionaire heiress aboard, we'll have to. Worse luck for it. We'll hammer down the hatches and let her ride if we have to. But it's a jolly hard shake and a boat we'll get, sir. But she's a hearty, clean old little boat, she is. And she'll ride her somehow. After receiving this information, Curly had gone directly to the wireless cabin. He was more anxious than he was willing to admit, for the safety of his two charges, the millionaire's children, for Curly did think of them as his charges. He was used to taking burdens on his own shoulders. It had always been his way. Just now he was listening in on six hundred, 
ready to pick up any message which might come from the boys on the seaplane. That the stormy petrol was a doomed aircraft, he had not the least doubt. The only question which remained in his mind was whether the Kittlewake or some other craft would reach her in time to save the two reckless boys. Now and again as he listened, he picked up a message from shore. The center of the storm, which was fast approaching, was to the east, offshore. Messages coming from the storm's direction would be greatly disturbed by static. But to the west, the air was still clear. Now he heard a ship off Long Island Sound speaking for a pilot. Now some shore station at Boston assigned to some ship a harbor space. And now some powerful broadcasting station sent out to all the world a warning against the rising storm. Tiring of all this, for a time he tuned his instrument to two hundred. Be interesting to see how far short wavelengths and high power will carry, was his mental comment. Now he caught a faint echo of a song, now a note of laughter, and now the serious tones of some man speaking with his home folks. But what was this? He fancied he caught a familiar whisper. Adjusting his wires, adding all the amplifying power his instruments possessed, he listened eagerly. Then, to his astonishment, heard his own nickname spoken. Hello, Curly, came to him distinctly. Then, are you there? You remember that big bad man? The one who used heaps of power on 1200? Well, he's gone north, very far north. You'd want to follow him, Curly, if you knew what I know. The radio phone is going to do great things for the north, Curly. But men like him will spoil it all. Remember this, Curly. If you do go, be careful. Careful. He's a bad man, and the stakes are big. The whisper ceased. The silence that followed it was ghostly. And that, Curly whispered softly, came all the way from my dear old hometown. She thought I was still in the secret tower room. Fine chance of my following that fellow up north. But when I get back, I'll investigate. There may be something big there, just as she says there is. Yes, I'll look into it when I get back. If I do get back. He shivered as he caught the howl of the wind in the rigging. Then, turning his instrument back to 600, he listened once more for some message from the seaplane, the stormy petrel. End of chapter 14